Hey Bruce Buds, Jesse here. I have a fun interview with a guy that I've known for a lot of years and is a huge Springsteen fan, uh, Richard Hunter. We recorded this via his car. He was driving down a dark desert highway um, heading to home to Vegas. And so there's a few glitches in the recording. There's some times where it gets staticky. But I, Richard had so many great stories that I had to just piece this together. So I apologize for the sound quality. Um, and if it sounds a little jumbled, I, I cut out the things that we couldn't understand. Um, but I, I think you'll enjoy this. And as always, thank you for all the love and support you give Set Lusting Bruce. It means the world to me. And here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and today I have a great show. I hope I'm not overselling it, but one of the reasons why I love being in podcast and why I thought I could be in podcast is my guest, uh, Richard Hunter hosted a show on a local radio station, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but so glad Richard is here to join me. Great, Jesse. It's good to talk to you. I, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I guess, flattered that uh, I, I somehow inspired you to, to podcast, and, and yet at, at the same time, I'm concerned that uh, I, I wasn't a, a better friend to dissuade you away from anything related to the radio business, so... Luckily, Richard, I'm doing this just for fun, um, in which I guess a lot of people will think is funny, since the radio slash podcast business can be pretty stressful. But um, I have the guys up in Chicago worry about the business part of it. I just do the fun part of talking to uh, Bruce Springsteen fans and talk about things that I love on the other podcasts. Richard was the host of the Wild Arse Circus on Sports Radio 1310, The Ticket. And it was kind of a version of um, politically un incorrect uh, roundtable. Sure, yeah, yeah. We, we, we prided ourselves on political incorrectness. I guess that's true. The format of the show was Richard would have P1s, which is what... The the station calls their listeners uh, submit a request to be on the show and then he would select people they do a little bit of screening and then they'd have four or five uh, p1s up in the studio every night and they'd go through a round table of discussions of just different sports topics and different segments and it was a lot of fun and richard controlled it all Right, just picture just picture a Bruce Springsteen concert with everybody holding up their signs with the song requests on them, 
and I would I would I would metaphorically crowd surf through the listeners, selecting uh, requests, and then you come on the show. Yeah. So Richard, uh, tell me a little about yourself. Tell me your musical background. What kind of music you listened to as a kid? What did your parents listen to? Yeah, so so my my parents sadly enough did not have great musical taste. This was during the the 1970s and they were they would listen to, you know, just adult contemporary top 40, not all of which was bad, but it, it wasn't even so much that they had bad taste as they just weren't particularly musically inclined to begin with. I did have a a cool aunt though who was a few years younger than my uh, my dad, who was her brother. So because of her, I learned about bands like the Rolling Stones and the Doors and Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. So so that that was what was first. But my, my, my first real influence, my first real favorite band was Kiss. Uh, like a lot of, uh, you know, preteens in the late 70s, uh, these guys were, uh, were comic book heroes come to life. And so I can honestly say that the reason I got my first guitar was because of Paul Stanley and Kiss. And, and they were the first concert that I ever saw when I was, uh, I was about eight years old. So it was those guys that made me want to be in a band. But the, the, the way that Bruce Springsteen factored into that and really came to, to influence me in a way that even those guys didn't was really by accident. I, I, as I was learning to play guitar, um, years later, I would, I would be in, in, in bands of my own. What I was always really attracted to was the live performance. Records were great, but, but I really, you know, the, the rock and roll experience was all about a, a, an in-person, uh, uh, experience for me. And so, uh, in 1980. Four, I guess, if that was or the end of 83, whenever Born in the USA came out, um, I was at a sound warehouse in Fort Worth, Texas, back when you still had record stores, and uh, I entered a drawing. Bruce Springsteen, uh, Born in the USA was just about to come out. Keep in mind, you know, no, no one had heard it. I mean, even though he was certainly a, a star up to that point, the, the, the Born in the USA explosion had not happened yet. And uh, I, I entered a drawing to win a trip to Toronto to see him on one of the first shows of the Born in the USA tour, and I won. And I was about, I don't know what I was then, 11, 12 years old. So because I was underage, I had to take my dad, so we go up to Toronto. And I'd seen a number of bands up to that point, um, and, and legendary bands. You know, Some of them maybe not so much in their prime at that point, but the Stones, the Who, I mean, bands that you would associate with being consummate live performers. I had seen. I didn't know anything about Springsteen. I didn't know any of the songs. I saw what I thought was the full show, not knowing any of the songs, turned to my dad and I said, that right there is the best live show I've ever seen, about two hours in. And it was at that point that he stepped to the microphone and said, that's halftime. We'll be back with a second set. And that is what initially blew my mind. And, and fast forward to last week, uh, when I saw the second of the L.A. shows uh, at the, uh, the L.A. Sports Coliseum, that was probably about my 25th show to see. And I honestly can't tell you among them which are the better ones. He was as great last Thursday night as he was the first time I saw him in Toronto on one of the first shows of the Born in the USA tour. And this I always say with certainty 
you know, of the 25 or so times that I've seen him, if you ask me who the second best uh, live performer is that I've ever seen, whatever show they put on was the 26th best one I've ever seen. In other words, all those Springsteen shows are better than any live act I've ever seen whose name wasn't Bruce Springsteen. It's been said by many people, Richard, that two kinds of listeners or concert attendees in the world, those who see Bruce Springsteen and go, ah, that was a pretty good show, and then those who say, oh my goodness, I wanted to sell everything I own and follow this guy everywhere. Um, I think that's a wonderful tribute you're saying to the power of his live show that, and I know you've seen a lot of music, and I know you've played professionally, and I know you still go to a lot of shows, and to say everyone is in second place compared to Bruce is pretty impressive. Yes, yes. Yes, because when you see him in a, and and I, I, I had the, you know, the, the privilege of experiencing this last week because as I always, you know, go for the floor and, and get, uh, you know, the lottery ticket and, and hopefully get in the pit. Uh, unfortunately, this, this past week, I drew the worst number I'd ever drawn. I was, I was within, uh, I was, I was within about 70 people of being the very last person let onto the floor. But that being said, that being said, it was still such an incredibly up close and personal experience. I was, I was on uh, the the other side of that second stage, you know, that runs out that strip that runs out to the middle, and it was still. So, and she was like, "Oh my God!" She's like, "This." I feel like I was on the front row, and that's what he does. He condenses uh, exponentially whatever venue he's performing in. If you see him in an arena, it feels like you're seeing him in a small club. If you see him in a theater, like we saw the acoustic tour, it feels like you're watching him play in someone's living room. In fact, I remember seeing you after that Grand Prairie show, and you said this is what you felt him doing a lecture at a college tour would feel like, you know, as he told stories and talked about the reasons why he wrote songs. Um, your 26 shows, have you ever seen him overseas? No. The furthest I've traveled, Canada, I also saw uh, this was a unique experience. Uh, in the late 80s, I saw him in Philadelphia headline the Amnesty International tour that was him, Sting, Peter Gabriel, and uh, Tracy Chapman. And uh, that was very cool. So, um, you know, my experience with, with, with him have all been domestic. They, they a lot of times have involved multiple nights. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed about seeing him is the fact that because he knows there's a lot of people that are going to see him multiple nights, uh, those shows vary greatly in terms of, you know, switching up the set list. And that's one thing that was kind of unusual about this river tour is obviously you're getting the river beginning to end uh, in the, the, the first two thirds or so of the show. And it's really that last third that is in question as far as uh, what you're going to get that's any different. But, um, yeah, that's always been one of my favorite things about seeing him. One of the things this tour is different, uh, one of the reasons why this tour is different is that 
um, you do know what's going on the first two-thirds of the show. So do you think – I mean, how did that react to you? Did you – did it take away from the enjoyment at all? I enjoyed it. Um, I, I will say – I mean, I, I guess just as a general thought, and this doesn't even just probably not as a really recreating an album top to bottom when obviously that is the order of things that you're going to hear on a record. And I know this has been a little bit of a trend with, with uh, a lot of legendary bands or at least bands who had legendary albums. I mean, I, I just saw Slayer this weekend and I know Slayer has done it in the past uh, with a couple of their records, just to give you an idea of the scope or the spectrum of the style of bands that do this sort of thing. I didn't mind seeing it. I, I was glad, you know, that it was an exception to the rule because my favorite part of the show is, you know, I don't go online and look up set lists uh, uh, the way a lot of people do. Uh, with Springsteen, it's not so, so bad because he's going to be changing it up all the time anyway. You know, a lot of times it's like seeing the spoiler to a movie if you're going to see one of these bands that doesn't change up their set list. So what I enjoy about Springsteen is, you know, the, the last third of that show, that in fact, I, I, I leaned over the people I was with. I was like, well, this is where it breaks wide open. This is where I can't tell you what he's going to do in what order and all the rest of that. I typically enjoy that spontaneity throughout the show. So if, if you're to ask me what I prefer, I would definitely prefer not having a, a, a set menu, if you will. But that being said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know I heard him play songs that, despite the fact that I've seen him over two dozen times now, I've never heard him play live. You know, some of the, the, the deep tracks on the second, you know, the, the, the second side of the second record of uh, The River or whatever, you're not going to see live in any other setting other than that. So I thought it was pretty cool to get a chance to hear those tracks. So, Richard, how was the crowd in Los Angeles? Crowd was great. Crowd was great, you know, and uh, L.A. is funny because, uh, you know, I live in uh, in Vegas now and I spend a lot of time in L.A. Uh, it's just it's basically like going from Dallas to Austin. And so, uh, you know, anytime you're in L.A., there's a lot of celebrities in the crowd, uh, you know. But the cool thing about that, and, and this is something I can say is very unique to a Springsteen show, is, yeah, there's celebrities in the crowd, but they're acting every bit as as crazy as the rest of us, you know. And uh, Rob Lowe was there in the pit that night celebrating his uh, birthday. Um, God, who else did I see there? I saw a couple other. Uh, oh, Kerry uh, 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 Brownstein, uh, uh, you know, from Portlandia. Uh, folks like that, but they're they're just Bruce Uber fans like everybody else when you see the way they're reacting, plus the fact that those were the last shows to ever be played at the L.A. Sports College. And if I understand it correctly, this was his favorite place to play in the Los Angeles area. Yeah, he, he always preferred the acoustics of that smaller arena that was the L.A. Sports Coliseum, so it was very cool to see him in that venue. So, Richard, did you find any surprises with the show? Not not the river part so much, although I do appreciate the arrangements. You know, that that's another thing, too, is just because it's the order of the songs on the record doesn't mean he's not going to touch up the arrangements. And so there there was some there was some spontaneity there. 
Um, once he concluded that portion of the show, because it was St. Patrick's Day, there was a particular focus on the Irish roots music influence uh, that, that he's had in his latter couple of albums. Um, so he did uh, American Land, but uh, he also did um, uh, he also did um, uh, Death to My Hometown, which was really a surprise, you know. Uh, but it had uh, it had all that uh, that Irish music uh, uh, instrumentation to it. He also uh, the the second of those LA shows was was Family Night. He brought out uh, for shout uh, for the encore. He had a bunch of the kids uh, playing along with him, who are basically adults now in their own right. Um, he had Danny Federici's son on accordion. He had his daughter uh, uh, on playing tambourine as well as uh one of uh clarence clemens sons and uh gary talents yeah gary talents daughter was out there too so it was almost like a a kids club uh again i say kids they're all adults but uh you know out there playing with them which was which was very cool and a long show this show went it came very close to four hours you know it was uh there was a point with shout i had not seen him do that live as an encore before one of the cool things about that song is it really lends itself to you really don't know when we're ending this. And uh, and and uh, I really sensed at a point, although I've, I've you know, I've seen him do this with a crowd over the years in, in various ways, that that song really was going to go as long as the crowd could goad him into another chorus of it. And I think he must have done a record number of, of reprises, you know, uh, of, of, of any song I I've ever seen him uh, give give that kind of, of treatment to. Yeah. So during the Wrecking Ball and I Hopes tour, we had the E Street Band Orchestra, or as some fans call it, the E Street on steroids. This time he's brought it back to the basic group plus, you know, Susie. And I'm just curious, do you have a preference of which version of the band you hear? I like, no, I don't have a preference. I'll, I'll say that I liked, I wondered going into this show, as you just said, over the last couple of tours, you know, he's had the all the big band and the, the orchestra and all, not an orchestra, but, uh, you know, the horn section and all that. And I wondered if seeing... The E Street Band, which used to look like a very large band to me, if seeing it now basically stripped down compared to what we've, we've compared it to in recent memory, if it would somehow seem sparse. But it didn't because I think what it did was it highlighted how incredibly tight those guys are together without any augmentation of, you know, uh, horn arrangements that weren't there in the past. And, you know, I think a lot of that decision must have been wanting to stay true to the river record itself and just basically as you said with the you know with the addition of Susie and then the 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 players who have replaced deceased members that that basically you know instrument for instrument matched what the the people that made the river record and the instruments that they played so there was to me uh, a, a renewed focus on you know the old hands like Steve Van Zant and uh and max weinberg and and i really enjoyed uh that aspect of it because the amazing thing about springsteen just as an overview 
you know, my favorite comedian is George Carlin. And one of the things that made Carlin my favorite was as he got older, he got better. And he was already great. And it's very rare that you can say that about someone. And, uh, you know, I, I, I took my, uh, my girlfriend with me who had never seen Springsteen before. She's, she's about 30 years old. So, you know, she's, she's younger than us and, and certainly knew Springsteen, but, but didn't experience him in the same ways in the same decades as we did and all that. And I built up how, you know, that how, how, you know, uh, uh, transformative this experience is. And I did all this selling and I thought, so, you know, I was afraid that, that with all the, the hyping that I was doing, that this would be the, the time, you know, you always wonder when it's going to be that you're going to go to the show, still going to be awesome, but you know, Bruce is going to be 67 this year and you have to acknowledge, well, you know what? I, it was still great, but you know, I wish you could have seen him when he was a hundred percent. And uh, it was the opposite. He, he just gets better the older he gets. His voice is as strong as it's ever been. The live performance is as strong as it's ever been. And I really, you know, I have always heard from people. I've, I've had a couple of conversations that, that I haven't had a chance to share with you yet. But people who have had musical experiences uh, with Springsteen. So the first one was uh, was the, uh, the, the singer... Uh, slash bass player uh, in the uh, Dropkick Murphys, you know, the Irish rock punk band. And he had told me, Kevin Casey, he had told me, Ken Casey, I'm sorry, Ken Casey, he had told me, I had him on my radio show, and we were talking about Springsteen. He said, you know, Springsteen developed this real interest in, in Irish folk music a few years back, and he said he started coming to our shows, and he started calling us and, like, asking us questions and inviting that's interesting. You you've mentioned that you've talked to a couple other people. Who else have you uh, visited with uh, about Bruce and their his interaction with the band? So you know, two direct conversations I've had with members of the E Street Band really fortified what I always suspected in terms of the, the you know Springsteen's philosophy toward live performance and and the first came uh from jake clements when i had him on my show and he said that that bruce had told him when he first joined the band he said you know every night when you perform with the east street band no matter how big the venue no matter how big the audience you will swear that you looked in the eye of the guy with the worst seat in the house you will believe by the time you got done performing with us that night that you and that guy looked eye to eye. And he's like, I didn't, he's like, I didn't really know what that meant until I experienced it. And he said, it's absolutely right. He said, it happens every single night. And then the second affirmation was from Nils Lofgren when I talked to him and he said, you know, he said, I've played with all the people he's played with. I mean, he had a whole other career with Neil Young before he played with Springsteen. He's, he's been a session guy. I mean, he's played with, with a, a, a who's who list of, of uh, Hall of Famers. And he said, you know, I can tell you that every one of them I've ever played with, I've known of at least one instance where they just kind of took the night off. I mean, it was still a good show. I won't say they mailed it in. The audience probably didn't even know. It probably took somebody in the band to really know that, yeah, you know, 
that guy, he's given it about 85, 90% tonight, but for whatever reason, he's just not completely into it. He said, I can say that about everybody I've ever performed with live. He said, except for Bruce. He said, in all the years, he said, I can't tell you that there's one show that I could ever, you know, uh, say that he took his foot off the gas for one second. And he said that he said everybody in this band knows that they know that's what the standard is. And it's it's the reason why I tell people, I said, listen, you know, I'm an atheist, but it's because of Springsteen that I understand evangelism. I understand how it happens. I understand how people get whipped up into this frenzy of deliverance. And, you know, I was I was right there doing it all with them. Uh, this past Thursday night, you know, my girlfriend was like, I've never seen you act like this. Like, this is like a different person. And I said, well, you know, the great part about the, the Church of Springsteen is he only wants a couple of hundred dollars from me every year, every couple of years. You know, he never comes after me, really, for more than that. <laughs> I love that story, Richard. I'm going to share it with a lot of people <laughs> before this comes out. Do I seem, at least from my opinion, the band is having such a good time during this tour. They're so tight. They are so musically in the same place. And it appears to me there is a joy to them playing this material that is almost at another level. And you've established every time you see Bruce, it's a great show. Do you think a little bit of this is the idea that they know that the road um, in front of them is shorter than the road behind him and that they only have a limited amount of time, whether it be five years, 10 years, 15 years left where they're going to be able to play together? Not a little. I mean, not so much something that I took from the seeing the live performance as much as maybe just context clues that that I've gathered looking forward to the show and leading up to the date itself. But but I'll say this. I think that when that day comes, uh, you know, if he ever effectively retires, what I could see happening is I could see him retiring if he believes that he cannot physically uh, maintain his high level of expectation at some point. I think we'd still see him do acoustic shows and things like that. But and, and had I gotten the sense seeing him last week that that he had lost a step or two, maybe I would have that thought more than I do now. I think maybe, you know, the fact that, uh, for example, they're not doing back-to-back shows now. You know, they take at least a night off in between shows. First of all, that's a very, very expensive thing to do. And there's only a few people who would have the the cachet to be able to pull that off financially because you're still paying that whole crew and the band and all the rest of that. But, you know, that tells me that, OK, he's figured out to in order to, to maintain that that what that peak performance level. Maybe now he's got to take at least every other night off or, you know, play every third night. Uh, and so that's cool. You know, that seems to be working. Uh, but but I don't think this is the tour that ends it. You know, I in fact, what I was hopeful of, what I am hopeful of is the fact that, you know, in the past, 
when he has been touring without a new record, uh, all of a sudden, we just had a new record sprung on us at the end of a tour. And then sometimes that old tour just, just blends right into the next tour, which is actually for that new record. So I'm really hoping that there may be some new music that he's actually been working on and, and, and writing and not having to worry about performing or releasing because of the river box set that, you know, that might be what's next. You've been a fan a long time since that young teenager went to Canada and heard the born in the USA tour. Um, how do you think his latest material compares to some of his earliest material? And and I realize, you know, comparing albums, something to Darkness on the Edge of Town and Born to Run is a really tough thing to do. But I'm just curious your thoughts on some of his new material. I love, well, I love Wrecking Ball. I, I, loved, uh, I loved The Rising as well. I think it was a fantastic album. But, uh, you know, Wrecking Ball and The Rising, really both those records, to me, uh, you know, when it's all said and done and I have to, you know, if you ask me to gather together my favorite half dozen Springsteen records or something like that, um, one or both of those could, could easily uh, be in the mix. And, you know, the way I gauge that is by the fact that when I saw uh, the Wrecking Ball Tour, the Rising 2 for that matter, but I distinctly remember I, I saw the Wrecking Ball Tour in uh, San Francisco because I'd already moved out here toward the West Coast, going in there and going, boy, I hope he plays a lot of that new stuff, you know? And, and oh, well, he played, he played quite a bit of the new stuff, but I wish he'd have played more. That was my thought leaving. Who says that? Who says that about a Hall of Fame act, right? So... So to me, that's all the evidence. Uh, that's the strongest evidence I could I could uh, provide. Are you going to try to see any other shows on this tour? Well, I, I don't know. Um, as of right now, I, I don't have any plans to do that. But I'm I'm hoping that something may open up. I was just looking at my travel schedule and his tour schedule, and there was actually a couple of shows I was just going to miss by about a week or so in different parts of the country uh, that that I needed to uh, to be in so uh you know i do i do my show from out here in in vegas now that that largely focuses on um ufc the sport of mixed martial arts and uh a lot of it happens here in vegas and i'm always at the big fights to cover those but that does have me traveling some when they will hold fight cards uh you know in other states and that sort of thing and sometimes overseas so uh yeah don't think i'm not uh, keeping an eye on the the uh, river tour schedule and seeing how that syncs up with various UFC cards that are being put on and trying to figure out how I can parlay a little uh, detour from a, from a work trip. So Richard, you've seen him 26 times. Is there anything that you still would like to hear him perform live? You know, are there some songs you're still chasing that you would love to hear him do while you're in the building? Hmm. That is a really good question. Um, you know, I mean, off the top of my head, no, because it's been these last couple of tours where he's really dusted off like tracks from uh, Greetings from Asbury Park and The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. I mean, if you'd asked me that question like six years ago, maybe, 
I could have looked to a couple of those records and said, oh, I've never heard of him play Kitty's back. You know, oh, heard that now. Check that off on the list. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you what. I, Although I have heard uh, the Detroit medley perform live, um, I've never heard quarter to three. I've never heard him do the Gary U.S. Bond stuff. And do you have either one of the Gary U.S. Bonds records that Springsteen essentially wrote and produced? Are you familiar with that material? Yes, I am. Okay. So I really love those records. I thought they were very cool. It's funny because I, I, um, I met Steve Van Zant one time, just very briefly. And uh, he had actually come up to, this was back in Dallas, he came up to uh, our sister station of the ticket that you mentioned a little while ago, the Bone, the rock station. And uh, he came up because he was promoting his uh, show, Little Stevens Underground Garage, because we were carrying it on the station. And so I thought, well, you know, I just got want to be able to say hi, take a picture. You know, what's what's something I can say to him that hopefully just kind of stands out other than big fan. And so I thought, aha, I got it, you know. And I said, um, I said, yeah, you know, I, I love obviously everything you've done. I said, you know, I really also love the Gary U.S. Bonds records. I said, you know, I had a, a, I, I owned a, a vinyl copy of uh on the line and i know that you you know co-produced that record i just want you to know i you know i i, I own that record and he was thinking it did not sell well <laughs> you know and uh i just thought that was a very funny response to get from him like oh oh that was you you're the guy that bought the record you know um but you know i probably would have liked to have you know maybe maybe um i've seen a couple of cool people in with him and stuff like that but i've never seen uh, Gary U.S. Bonds come out or Southside Johnny or, you know, any of those kind of legendary names that are always associated with. Richard, thank you so much for talking to me as you're driving down that dark desert highway. If someone wants to reach you, how can they? Yeah, well, first, uh, you know, if anybody wants to check out my uh, my radio show, it's also available in podcast form. It's, it's called Phone Booth Fighting. And uh, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or at phoneboothfighting.com. I co-host it with uh, the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir, who himself is a big music fan. And we actually talk a lot of music on the show. Uh, you know, maybe you, you'd first hear me talk about it and be like, okay, well, I'll show about uh, combat sports. And it is. But as you remember from our days at the ticket, we frequently veer off of the sports path. So, uh, yeah, and you can bet... So how'd you get into this gig? Okay, so what happened with that was, um, you know, at the ticket, uh, which was a sports station, I was really, um, I was hired in, sp- in spite of that format. I mean, I was, I was really uh, connected with them because of just being a personality. And the truth of the matter is, I don't like sports, except for combat sports. I often, I often say that for me to enjoy a sport, I need the constant threat of total incapacitation. And, and I only get that in combat sports and politics. So those are the only, to me, real sports that I'm interested in. Uh, and so what would happen is, even back to the ticket days, I look for every excuse to talk boxing or to talk uh, UFC. And, you know, the UFC started having us come out, broadcast live. I don't think you ever made one of those trips with us, but I know some of your, your, your fellow co-hosts and stuff did with me, and we'd go out watch the fights and do live broadcasts from Vegas. And so all that time, I was always thinking, you know, I wish I could just talk about this all the time on the radio or at least 
most of the time when I'm having to talk about sports because it is a sport that I really do understand. And then I started training in it. I started training in in jujitsu. And so then I understood it even more from a physical uh, aspect. And it became a lifestyle thing that I really want to share my personal experiences uh, with listeners uh, about. And then about the same time, I started doing stand-up comedy. And so stand-up comedy dates were happening in Vegas quite a bit. And I was coming out to Vegas for those. So things kept pulling me toward Vegas, you know, and I was like, I even bought a house here for about a year before I moved here. And so I would come here and I'd be in the house, it'd be fight week, or I'd be doing a week's worth of stand-up at one of the casinos or something, and just thinking, why do I not live here? This would be so much easier if I lived here. So, uh, you know, I finally made the move to do it, and uh, it just kind of connected me with a community that, that even as big as the sport is, it's still kind of a small, uh, you know, circle of, of uh, fighters, and and got to know a lot of those guys real well, and, and you know, kind of kind of built a little little cottage industry show out of it. So what I end up doing is I end up covering UFC for a number of affiliates, including uh, 105.3 The Fan, which is there in Dallas where you live, and uh, also uh, sports stations in Reno, Chicago, and Las Vegas, as well as the, the Phone Booth Fighting podcast that I do. So people can listen to that. They can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter. And uh, you know I'm always posting stuff about Certainly any Springsteen shows I see, musical connections that I make. I, I, you know, there's, I'll tell you, there's a couple of people you should get on your show uh, that are huge Springsteen fans and can tell some great stories if you, if you don't know about that. First of all, one is uh, Mick Foley, the hardcore legend, the legendary WWE wrestler. He loves Springsteen, and uh, I've had some great conversations with him about live Springsteen shows. And the other one, speaking of podcasting and the godfather of all podcasting, they, they call him the podfather, Adam Carolla, his wife, Lynette, is as big of a Springsteen fanatic as you're going to find. To the point, she travels the country uh, back and forth crisscrossing it, going to see live Springsteen shows. And uh, she'd be a good one for you to talk to, too. I've been on the record that her 10th Avenue podcast is the reason why I started this set listing. Bruce, she was doing this Springsteen podcast and I loved it, but she wasn't doing it enough. And so I decided in the spirit of, you know, light a candle instead of curse the darkness, I would start my own Springsteen podcast. So she... I would love to talk to her and give her all the credit about her inspiring me to do this. I'll do it. No, man. For sure. I, I'll put her in touch with you and, uh, you know, tell her you, you know, she helped inspire you to do this thing. I'm sure she will be quite, quite flattered at that. Richard, this was a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. I knew you would be a great guest and I knew you'd have great stories and you did. So, I appreciate it. Um, hopefully we can talk together um, again soon because uh, it's great catching up with you. Yeah, I will, man. you got to let me know when you're in Vegas. We'll get together. We'll do a swap cast. You know, we can, uh, we can uh, do a dual uh, podcast together. We'll get some, uh, some fun people on out here and uh, talk some music. Hey, i got to ask you one question before you let me go, though, because uh, I always tell this story about you. Like, I know if you still do it. Do you still make those grids? So you can watch TV? Oh, that's funny you ask. Yes, I do. It isn't as important 
as it used to be. My DVR now can record up to four shows at a time. What Richard's talking about is in the past when you could only record two shows on a DVR, I would have to, I would take the fall preview and do a spreadsheet to see, okay, which show am I going to record on my primary DVR, which one on my second tuning on the DVR, and which one will I have to try to watch, uh, record on my wife's DVR, because back then there wasn't as much as on demand, and um, you know you couldn't buy individual episodes very easy. So me and my geekness would have the spreadsheet figuring it out, and um, Richard thought that was funny. Ah. Uh-huh. You would you would show up to the studio with the they were like spreadsheets. I mean they were like it looked like like you know quarterly reports for the stockholders or something, but it was actually your TV watching schedule. Yeah, I am a little nerdy about TV. Yes. Richard, as I said, this was a blast. We'll have to get together again. And I like the idea of going to Vegas and doing a uh, combo podcast. That would be a blast. Yeah, man. Any any time, and and when you uh, when you post this up, tag me on it on my social media, Richard Hunter, so I can retweet it. Okay. Thank you again, Richard. Okay, if you want to be on set, Lusting Bruce, and share your Springsteen story, send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail We are on Twitter at setlusting Bruce and a Facebook page, setlusting Bruce. Please go to iTunes, rate and review us. It helps people find us because we need more listeners. Richard, travel safe, and we will talk to you soon. Cool, buddy. Great, great to talk to you, Jesse. All right, later. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.